This week, we talk about the paradox of success, how to respond when enterprise clients want you to have certain security audits, and a lot more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Uh, what's going on, Rick? Well, I've, Robinhood's got me thinking about the conflict between Leg Up Health's mission statement and our revenue source. Um, I don't know if you've been following the Robinhood uh, GameStop issue. I've been following it. How, how does that relate to your revenue and mission? Well, I think what if you think about what Robinhood is in trouble for with Twitter wor- the Twitter world at least, is they basically have a mission statement of democratizing uh, trading for mm-hmm. you know the people, right? And uh, that was exactly what happened, right? So for people who didn't follow, basically a bunch of the masses, the people, the ordinary people got together and took out basically a hedge fund uh, that was shorting uh, taking care of a taking advantage of a financial instrument to uh, bet on the the basically the failing of a popular company called GameStop. And but basically, long story short, a bunch of users got together and basically propped basically propped the um, GameStop stock up, which caused the hedge fund to basically de- uh, default on um, the uh, stock that they had borrowed. And this created a serious um, sort of middleman problem for Robinhood because their revenue source are these hedge funds. Um, yeah. And so um, it made me, you know, I don't, I mean, I think if you want to talk more about that issue, I think there's plenty of places to go talk about that and follow the conversation online. What I want to talk to you about though was Leg Up Health is kind of in a similar situation where our users are people who, we, we think of as our clients um, and they're the people who buy health insurance. Um, and we, our mission is to make it, you know, buying your own health insurance way better uh, to put it simply, but our revenue comes from the insurance companies. And I could mm. like, I have empathy for Robinhood here because you, know, you can't pursue your mission if you can't sustain yourself. Um, right. But does that mean you have the wrong mission? Um you know, it's it, it. You know, when, when um, your your stakeholder for your revenue uh, or su- your your sustenance um, is at conflict with your mission, what do you pick? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't uh, I hadn't looked at it through this lens. I do think, luckily, you're there are some parallels with your situation. But I maybe this isn't the point of the conversation. You're never gonna. Uh, it's hard to imagine the situation hitting you because it's like, oh, all your customers intentionally get sick at the same time to screw over the insurance. Co- or I, I don't know like what the collective action would be in your case, but it is still an interesting thought. I mean, Robinhood doesn't have a choice, right? Like they, if they lose their revenue stream, I, I, honestly, I think they're screwed no matter what. Like, th- th- is there any way they come out of this? Like anywhere near as successful of a company as they were a day ago? It looks really bad, uh, but I, you know, it feels like what they're doing is working to a degree, and it's a question of figuring out how to how, how to manage it. And so, I'm, I guess I'm not, maybe not as pessimistic about it. Mm. In a way, I, I see this as they're, they've succeeded at their mission too well. 
Yeah, I liked the tweet. Someone said, like, it's called Robin Hood. What did you think they were going to do with it? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they're stealing from the rich. It's, it's exactly what the name says. Yep. Um, I, Robin Hood was a troubled company prior to the, or I shouldn't say troubled, but like they've, they're a company known for doing a lot of shady things, I think. And maybe they kind of like over, they were a little too aggressive in a way that you, I get what you're saying that the person giving you money is not the person you're representing. And if they're at odds with one another, but like, I feel like you're not putting yourself in a position where there needs to be a conflict like that. Well, I guess you never know when there will be. Right. And at the end of the day, like who is my first customer? Right. Well, technically if you really want to, if you want to get down to it, who pays me money, it's the insurance companies. Right. And, and I think that's the same concept with Robinhood. It's like their customer really isn't the, 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 per, the person who's doing the trade. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that just recognizing that, I, I guess my question is, is it okay to have a mission and, you know, that has stakeholders that aren't the people, aren't your revenue source? And, and I think the answer is yes to that. Um, but then, you know, I guess, how do you think about situations in which there's a conflict between your mission and, you know, what's, you know, your first, let's just call it your, your source of revenue. And I haven't had to deal with this yet, but I imagine I will have smaller instances, instances Small of, ones, yeah. yeah um, where it's like, I have to make a decision between what's more important. Okay. Yeah. So I, I totally agree. It's okay for your mission to be to serve someone who's not the one giving you money. I don't think it's okay for your mission to fundamentally have that conflict built in. And if I can like pivot slightly, every company that raises money has this. Every company that raises money, their mission is whatever they say it is, but their actual customer is their investor at that point. And their investor wants them to squeeze as much money out of their customer as they can. Like that's fundamental conflict. What you've got is like, yeah, maybe weird situations arise, but like there doesn't have to be a conflict between the insurance carrier and their customer necessarily. Yeah, it's I funny. Guess, I, well, I thought of you the other day. I saw this is this is a little bit of an aside. I saw a tweet. Someone's you know someone in the VC world was was tweeting, "Dear entrepreneurs, the the venture capitalists are not your customers." And I was thinking, yes, they are. Yeah, they are. That's a lie. <laughs> they have a lot more. You're serving them way more than you're serving your customers. They have voting spe- rights. They have all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it's, it's and it's like, yes, they are. Um, but the the best entrepreneurs probably figure out, you know, like a Bez, like Bezos did. How how to how do you prioritize your customers and get mm-hmm. them a lot? You know, how do you get your 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 venture cap? How do you get your investors to get aligned on them being secondary to the to the true customer? Which is 100%. a whole that's a management and- issue though. And the best investors don't put you in that situation, but then you go public and like eventually you end up being like what we're seeing with Google, for example, right now, where they used to be this cool engineering company and now they're like this shitty ad company. And it's like everyone eventually gets corrupted. It, it just is a matter of how long you hold that. But anyway, <laughs> I, very interesting thought on the uh, that the parallels between you and Robin Hood. I hadn't looked at it that way. Yeah. So um, I, I think my takeaway from my, my quick observation is, hmm, um, this is this is something I need to manage. Um, the VC analogy is actually another good one uh, that I'll that I'll take away from this conversation. Um, and I need to be aware of, hey, like when there when there is potential conflict, I need to be proactive about managing it um, up mm-hmm. and, and very transparent about it, probably. Um, and I haven't had that yet, but I am now going to be much more thoughtful about being you know, being being aware of like being kind of keep my eyes open for. Uh, 
potential, uh, uh, just kind of like ugly things to happen. I, you know, just things yeah. that like, ugh. It, if it happens, I like, please mention it because I'm, I get the fundamental thing and I'm not like my imagination can't come up with what the specific would be. So I'd, I'd love to hear about it, about it if it happens. I think, uh, here's the perfect example. Hypothetical, like it's a hypothetical, but it's an example. I wrote a blog post and, and sent it out this week called 12 ways to get more out of your health insurance in 2021. The insurance companies, you know, make money by you not using your health insurance, right? Like right. if everyone used their health insurance more than they forecast uh, and base the premiums on, they lose money. If I were teach, you know, if my mission was to help my clients get the, you know, their full, their more than their premium back from the insurance company, that would be a situation in which the insurance yeah, company conflict. So I'm not doing that exactly, but, but there are like, when I wrote that article, if I had written like, Hey, here are ways to like get free healthcare, like get, right. get like, um, and I did write it that way, but not to a point of, of it crossing a line, I think. But anyway, hmm. that, that's one w- example. Would the insurance company do anything about it? Like that's uh, only a problem if they come after you and say you have to stop giving this oh, advice. The, in, in the contracts there, the, my, I didn't cross the line with that post, but mm-hmm. it could have crossed the line. Like there, there is, there, there is, is a ab- line. <laughs> there, are, there, there are when you sign contracts. Um, when, when an agent like le- agency like Leg Up Health, an agent like me, is a what's called a contracted or appointed with an insurance company, they make you sign a bunch of stuff. And one of those things is you're not going to basically create like adverse. Mm. You know, you're not going to like help help the policyholders take advantage of the insurance company. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Robin hood, I feel I kind of have some empathy for you, but not really. Um, not really. <laughs> uh, but so good luck out there. Yeah. Uh, staying on the kind of current news thing. Um, so Twitter acquired this company I'd previously never heard of renew. Have you, have you followed that at all? You know, I, I saw it and, and I, and I, but I, what does renew do? So it's. I think it's basically a Substack competitor. Are you familiar with Substack? Like paid uh, you, newsletters, basically. Paid newsletters. Yep. Yeah. Or I don't know. I have a Substack. I wrote like one post on a year ago. You know, it doesn't have to be paid, but uh, it's like any other newsletter tool, except that it's easy to monetize it. Um. Anyway, I think I I think it's an interesting move because we talked yesterday or last week about like, is it worth building an audience? Basically, like. We were talking about podcasting, but I think newsletters are very similar. Uh, what do you think about this movement towards, like in the past it was you build an audience and then you kind of monetize it in some other way. It's like basically lead gen for whatever else you're doing. And I feel like more and more now, there are a lot of ways to just monetize the audience directly. Basically be like, pay me for this podcast or for this newsletter or whatever. Um, have you noticed that that trend? The trend of, of paying for eyeballs? I guess of I, of building an audience and mo- like the audience is monetized directly rather than they're like you're just building oh. leads to sell them something else. I mean, I, I guess I don't know that it's. It seems like that's getting more for kind of picking up on Robinhood. That's getting more democratized, so there's more people doing it. Um, but I feel like that's how it's been for a long time with with like net like Netflix or. You know, I, I guess it, it just yeah. feels like that's been a trend for a while. So I wouldn't call it a new trend. Okay. So maybe it's, well, okay. At the very least, things are unbundling. Like, yeah, it wouldn't have been weird to pay for the New York Times before, but 
now you're paying a specific journalist, you know, five bucks a month to read their articles, which feels, you're right, it's not categorically different, but it feels kind of different to me. Yep. Um, anyway, I, I really like it because Twitter is my digital home, especially professionally. Like, Twitter is to me what LinkedIn wants to be. Mm. It's like I make professional, I, Twitter for me, I, I don't follow family or friends really, unless I happen to be like working with the friends or they're in my field, but like, it's really a professional network for me. And the idea that like you can build people following you and then forget the the monetization part, but I'd love to be able to like have that audience be an audience for a newsletter. I'd be much more likely to write a newsletter if it's like this will go out to my Twitter followers or, you know, even this podcast, if it could be more tightly integrated into Twitter, I think that'd be a cool thing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, is it review, not renew? Oh, is it? Sorry. Yeah. I, the wrong thing I, down I, I was, I was trying to search it and I think I, I found it. Um, and, but, but like, why, why, why do you think, what does this add to the Twitter ecosystem in your opinion? Like from a, you're on Twitter, someone else is using the review service. What does, what yeah, does so that right add to now, you? I don't think it does any, like right now they're just two totally separate things. But I think the idea is like, Twitter is a way to connect people creating content with followers or an audience or whatever. But the medium is shitty on Twitter. Mm. Like it's, it's tweets. If the medium could be, you know, we record a podcast and people follow it on Twitter or I, you know, I wrote a blog post like medium is basically Twitter, but where the content is blog posts. Mm. It'd be cool to just be like, forget what the medium is. Twitter's just the network for following people who are saying interesting things. And then you can use whatever medium you want within it. That'd be kind of cool. That is cool. Um, I'm looking at the the TechCrunch article that that announced this. It looked like it happened a couple of days ago. Um, the the only comment on the TechCrunch article is awesome. Can't wait for Twitter to shut this down in three years. <laughs> True. It's <laughs> it's so sad that they they created Vine, which was TikTok before TikTok, and then they just shut it down. I just can't believe that. Uh, anyway, okay. Enough uh, current events here. What's what's been going on in your life? Well, I had my first. Uh, official cancellation this week. Um, someone called me up and was like, Hey man, I got a new job, which is like, it's, it's I'm like awesome dude. Yeah. And he, he said, uh, so I need to cancel. And he, it was really easy. I said, great. Uh, do you want to do it online or do you want me to do it right now for you? Took care of it right there. And he's like, what really? That's it. He's like, man, this is awesome. And then this person went on a t- to tweet, um, uh, an endorsement of leg up health. And he's a substantial following in Utah. So that was actually a big deal. And then he sent a referral the next day. Very cool. And so it was kind of one of those situations where it was like, I mean, I'm losing a client due to, it's like, this is what I would put when you you lose clients, whether it's in SaaS or in consumer services, you kind of have two tight buckets of cancellations. One is controllable, meaning you, you did something wrong or you could have done something different to prevent the cancellation and then uncontrollable cancellations. This was definitely an uncontrollable cancellation. So I didn't feel bad about losing it, but to know that that word of mouth is still going to happen, even though mm-hmm. that, that person isn't the client anymore, was really a powerful shot um, in the arm this week. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I have a few thoughts on this. Well, I kind of learned my attitude for this from Basecamp. I don't know if you've read what they say about this, but um, you know they, sell, they, they have pretty simple software. And so they kind of say when people want to upgrade because they need something more, like they've grown too big for us, basically. They kind of celebrate it. Because it's like our software did did its job, right? We you're you're a growing business. You needed something to get you from point A to point B. We're not the thing to get you past point B, but you got there because of us, and like we played a part in that. It's like an interesting jobs to be done experiment of 
like like a, a really famous industry for this is dating websites where it's like if you do your job well you lose all your customers because they don't need to date anymore <laughs> but like yeah you can take pride and even if they're not your customer anymore you did your job i think that's awesome totally um and this the group uh, that this person was in is in between jobs right and if you're in between jobs you don't want to be in between jobs for very long so the shorter that mm-hmm. they're our client the, the better and so um it worked out yeah, very cool. Yeah, we, we have this all the time where people are like, I'm upgrading to a more advanced CRM and we're always like, cool, I'm, you know, I'm glad we could be a, a part of the, the early part of your journey. So, yeah. Cool. Um, I see you've got something on here called the paradox of success. Yeah. So uh, for anyone out there that doesn't follow Rick's newsletter, uh, you wrote about, what's the book called? The Essentialism? Es- essentialism, yep. Uh, in your newsletter. And so I, I kind of read through your notes on that book, which I, I think that's very cool, by the way. It's like, Rick does all the reading and then you you just read like a little quick blog post and get it all. But I loved the idea you talked about there of the paradox of success because I feel like I'm experiencing this a little bit right now. And so for anyone not familiar, because I was not prior to this, well, it's your blog post. Do you want, do you want to explain what the paradox no, go, of success I'd love, is? No, go for it. Go for it. So the, the way, if I'm remembering correctly, it's basically the idea that like the more successful you are, the more, uh, well, you're successful because you focused on something and executed and, you know, you did all the stuff that makes success happen. And then that creates new opportunities for you. As soon as you're successful, people start reaching out and just all this serendipity starts happening, which causes you to, if you're not careful, lose focus because all like you're trying to go after all these opportunities that are coming in. Now you're not focused and you're not executing well. And so like the success that, the original success you had causes you to stop being successful, basically. Is that a fair description? Yes, yes. Basically, um, the more successful you are, the more opportunities you have, um, and you you lose focus due to the plethora of opportunities, um, or you get stuck in paralysis by analysis because there's so many different opportunities available. You don't actually start, you don't do anything, you just analyze, Mm -hmm. um, and and you start failing. Yeah, I mean, I just could not relate to this more because I've mentioned a few times over the last year or two, I've I've just, I feel like I'm a little more connected to, like I've, I've never been a networker. I'm not the type of person who goes to an event and shakes hands or whatever, but over Twitter and stuff like that. And like, I'm now uh, an LP in Earnest Capital. And so I've met people through that and other like opportunities keep coming up. And so this actually happened this week after I read your thing where Earnest Capital's doing these, like, uh, what do they call it? It's not virtual board. I forget, but there's something where there was an opportunity for me to, I mean, who knows if I would have been accepted or not, but like sort of be a quasi board member for one of, one of their companies. And I, I got really excited. I'm like, I've always thought it would be cool to be on a board and I like mentorship and all that. And then I, I was like, wait, what is, what the fuck does this have to do with what I actually am trying to accomplish? Like nothing. So, uh, it, it was very timely that I read that post and, um, just like, Staying focused on the thing you really care about is is so powerful. I think to- totally, and but that requires getting clear on what you really are trying to accomplish and what you really care about. So, did did you do you feel like you have clarity on that? I mean, at the very least, I I have clarity that like less annoying CRM is is it. I think within that, you still have the hard decision of do we build new products or do we make our current thing better? Or do we you know there's there's still you can dive deeper and it's it's like a uh, uh, there's that term, a fractal, right? Every time you go deeper, you have the same thing. But uh, I at least want to try to be better about staying focused on things that relate to less annoying CRM. Cool, cool. Yeah, 
Um, that's, that's, thanks for pulling that out. I, I, uh, it's interesting. Like, you know, you're successful when you are constantly, you, you know, you've gotten to a certain level of success when you start getting inbound opportunities, but it is so difficult to say no to those opportunities. And that is exactly what you need to do if you want to continue to succeed at whatever um, you've been successful at. Sometimes yeah. though, it makes sense to do a pivot. A hundred percent. I think in a different, like, let's say my situation right now is like, less knowing serum is cool. I'm happy to keep running it, but I'm feeling, I'm not like f- totally fulfilled. And I want to kind of spread my wings a little. This would have made a whole lot of sense. I'm not saying like you should never do any of this, but my problem is that I can't do all the stuff I want to with less knowing serum. It's not that I'm bored by it or anything like that. So it wouldn't, I don't need that variety. Nope. Nope. Cool. Any other takeaways from that? Uh, pro- when I was reading it, I was nodding my head a lot, but, um, that was the only thing I like jotted down. <laughs> that's, that's one of the top books. So, um, I occasionally about one in 10 books I read is just right out on the pathway of start to last concepts mm-hmm. and, and essentialism is one of those books. So if you're, if you, if you kind of buy what we're talking about here with a build a business to last versus biz- build a business to sell, um, essentialism is a really interesting concept. Uh, for Sorry, a book did, book to read for that. Go ahead. I did have one other, I don't necessarily have a thought, but like in your notes, you kind of say like, here's like, here are the concepts, but then also here's how you do it. Like step one, do this step two, do that. Did you actually go through that process for yourself? And in the main thing, if I remember correctly, is like, you have to know what you want, right? Cause what is essential is different for different people. Did you go like, what's essential to you? Yeah. So, um, I actually, so what's essential to me? Um, Personal health is was was is always like at the top of the list, even more important than leg up health. So, and it's it's hard to it's really interesting when you when you say that out loud and then you look backwards at the last two weeks and you go, was personal health really more important than leg up health? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but you know reviewing that makes it true. Um, uh, the other thing is family, um, and it's not necessarily it's not necessarily friends. It's more family for me. So hmm. it's Sable. It's uh, the the coming baby. It's my, our immediate families, especially my parents and siblings. Um, and then it's, uh, what I'm calling build, building a business that sustains our, our basic life that I own, um, or that we own. Um, so that, and and that goes back to some of the stuff we've talked about, you know, before on, on recent episodes. And then there's a fourth one that I, that I put in the, um, sort of where I would put start to last and where I would put ricklandquist.com. And that is, uh, it's like continuous learning. It's a combination of continuous learning and, uh, I don't know, getting better as a person. And I, I, I put that as number four, but it could be more important than like a belt to me. I'm not sure. Um, but that's what it's, there's, there's this thing when I went through the exercise, I, I had those first three and then I realized, if I said I would regret the exercise, I, I, the question I ask myself is, what would I regret when I'm going to die? If I was going to die tomorrow, like what would I regret not doing? If mm-hmm. I stopped doing the newsletter, I would regret not doing that. I would regret doing that. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't have a good like good words to explain why that is important to me, other than I like it um, and it makes me feel good every week. And so, therefore, yeah, it is it, essential. I think everyone, like every human you have to have some sort of challenge in your life. It doesn't have to be like, it, it could be any number of different things, but if you're not pushing yourself in one way or another, you get bored. And 
I, what I'm hearing from you is like number, like number three and four could be separate things. Like you have a boring business you don't particularly care about, but it pays the bills. And then you go out and challenge yourself in other ways. But in a perfect world, why not challenge yourself and have the business and kill two birds with one stone? Is that yep. sound yeah, right? And I, th- and I think that's probably, that's how I'm thinking about it. And, and at the leg up ventures level. Um, but, uh, I, I think what, by separating the two, I'm acknowledging that sometimes like you can't have, you you, you don't get to spend, you know, a Friday reading a book and taking notes on it if you're not making money on, you know, Monday through Thursday to free at the right. time. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, more, it just acknowledges the privilege I think I have of of doing that. But but yeah, that that's a really important exercise. And then the, the other really important exercise that I allow myself to do, and I, I talked about it a little bit um, a few episodes ago, is it, the exploration phase. Like being, like seriously giving yourself time to go and consider all the different avenues and then apply your filter, which is what you are really you really care about to those. It's amazing how many things that you're thinking about doing in a moment or in a mm-hmm. in a week that have nothing that are complete distractions from what you are what your what he calls essential intent is, um, which is what I just listed. And the 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 power of just saying no to all those because it by default um, is is really really useful. Yeah. It's good. It's interesting timing. When we talked about that in the past, you said to me, I think, if I recall correctly, that I, I do a good job of giving myself time to to wander a little bit, which I think is normally true. I think I might do too much because this week, for the first time in a while, I've just been in execution mode. And it, I A, it feels great. And B, like, I realized I haven't in a while. And like the sign of this, I had my uh, one-on-one, I have a weekly one-on-one with Brack and my brother slash co-founder. And I kind of got in there like, I don't have anything to, I could like give you updates on what I've accomplished over the last week, but I don't have like new brainstorming because I just know what I need to do and I've got to go do it. And it was, it's the first time in a long time that I haven't like been like, well, I spent the last week noodling around about bullshit, you know? So it's good to, it's good to have a balance, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to. And and, and, <laughs> and ideally what happens is these, these big exploration moments facilitate what, what he calls effortless execution over a period of time. And then you have some sort of, ideally you don't have to come back to a major exploration phase very often. You're, you're kind of yeah. weekly or you have a system for purging, you know, the things that don't matter. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, check out the the book and the notes if you're interested in the concept. Cool. What else is going on with you? Well, you know, I, I, th- I thought I like right before an hour before we started recording, I thought I had solved the problem that I brought to you last week, which was, um, I, one of the biggest thing, one of the biggest growth challenges to the business is scaling the product. And it's also the, one of the reasons it's the biggest challenge is I don't know how to do it. I don't have a, I, I know how to solve the problem of generating leads. I know how to solve the problem of converting those leads. I, I know how to solve the problem of putting up content. Like I know how to hire people. Um, I do not know how to code to solve some of the, the, the scaling challenges of the product. And there are, there are sort of three core problems um, as it relates to the product that need to be solved via you know coding of some sort or what I would call it, genius no coding. Yeah, and, some level of automation yes. regardless yeah. of how it happens. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I've identified these as most important right now because they're the only things that what I would say have re- execution risk for me in that um, if I solve these, I know I can execute the business to a pretty solid 
place. If I can't solve these, I'm going to have to pay someone else to do them. And I have no idea how much those are going to cost, or I have to not do these things. And I don't know what that does to the business model, which could put it at risk. Mm-hmm. So um, there, the three things are, one is what I would call like internal policy management. Like when someone that is a user has a policy um, that cancels, what, how do we systematically like remove that from their portal? Um, when they add a new policy, how does that happen? That kind of stuff. The second is, um, ver- I'll call it policy management. The second is policy verification. And this involves taking a, a new policy that someone has or an existing policy on a monthly basis and sort of sending that data out to a third-party API to check whether that policy is active. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know receiving that data back and then using the data that we're getting back to, um, to sort of... Uh, you know, store that data. And then the third is this monthly update email that we send on a monthly basis that takes um, a user and all of their policies and the data we got back from that API and presents it to them in a useful way. Um, all these things could be automated if you knew how to code really well. I don't. And so I've been doing a lot of, I've been piecemealing a lot of these things and doing it mostly manually. Um, in January, I, I fixed the first one. So policy management is now fully automated. Um, nice. so uh, that is really cool. Uh, but now I'm into the, the hard stuff and there, you know, the, I have no intent on solving the, what I would call the policy, uh, API call, uh, verification yeah. one right now. That one is, I think next month, but I, I really, my monthly update is due today. I was supposed to get it out today. I'm not going to get it out. Um, but I'm trying really hard to construct the, if I get the data manually for each policy, if I can figure out how to script, write a script to construct the monthly update email for each user based on the da- data already being there um, that I collected manually via the API, then that would be a huge win for this month. And right before, an hour before this, I was I thought SendGrid had this perfect integration with Airtable that was going to let me do it, and then I realized it's still I'm still running into the same problem where even within Airtable they have this concept called scripts where you're, mm-hmm. I have to write JavaScript basically to loop through for each user, the um, each policy, create objects for each policy and JavaScript, basically JavaScript objects for each policy, um, properties for each property, uh, uh, you know, for each policy, and then loop through each of those objects again uh, and create a, an email and I'm getting stuck. So, um, but it's cool. Uh, there's some really, where Airtable is now, where it was a year ago, major advances from a no-code standpoint. This is a new it. feature. It's not just something you didn't know about. Like they added this recently. They added this recently in the last year um, and they really advanced it in the last, in the last, I would call several months. Um, the So so it does solve other audit email problems for me that I'm going to use, but um, it's really leading me to this this place. And I, I, f- I had this epiphany this week where I finally understand the DOM document object model. Is that how you say it? D-O-M or DOM? I say DOM, but DOM. yeah. Okay, so if you if you this I'm I'm kind of this is a, a bit a bit of a tangent, but I just want to this this was a big moment for me. People, I've been trying to understand what the DOM was. People say you you know the DOM DOM this DOM that. If you're trying to learn JavaScript, you're going to hear about the DOM. It stands for Document Object Module. Um, basically, model. What what this is is basically think you know when you have an HTML when you look at a web page, what's being displayed is basically the HTML and the CSS on that page that, that has been uh, provided by the server. And w- all the DOM is, is basically a, is a copy of, of that, um, uh, of those files. 
in so in a in a place that allows the uh, browser to modify what you're seeing based on either actions you take or Java's code that has been provided to the to the to the browser. And once you realize this, that basically JavaScript is the way that you change the HTML and CSS that is being displayed, not the actual source files, but the CSS that's being displayed to you, which is the DOM, um, it's massively empowering. It just all of a sudden clicked for me. And this mm-hmm. is one of those, this is one of those like foundational concepts I feel like that if I could have gotten six years ago, I would be further along in my coding. It's so huge. You know, when I teach people to code in the coding fellowship, uh, one of the concepts that some people never get, and but like when they do, it's that light bulb moment is, yeah, what's happening on the server? What's happening on the client? Because the the way you're normally writing it for a beginner is like you're writing server-side code and then that has JavaScript in it. But like what actually happens is the JavaScript gets sent to the client and then it runs. And it, it really, once you get it, it's like automatic. There's nothing even remotely complex about it. But for for whatever reason, it's a very difficult concept for people to grasp. So I'm, it's very cool that you're you got it. <laughs> yeah. So now that I'm, I've got that, I'm like, oh crap! Now I know it's possible, and oh, now I understand how advanced scripting can, how advanced scripting can get um, mm-hmm. to do some of the things that I want to do. Um, so now I'm having this. I, I realize like there's this gap now between what I what I want to 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 have what what I want the end result to be. And what's I know it's possible, but how do I get there um, with you know objects and for yeah. loops and arrays and but, that sort of stuff? But so like with Airtable, you, 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 you I don't know if you have, but you feel pretty confident you could say here's here's an Airtable. I'm going to push a button and like every person, if there's a row for each person, every person's going to get an email. Like you, you feel like you could do that. It's just the more complex. I already have that set up. So if if for each user, I could send, I could click a button. I have a button in, in the base now that says, mm-hmm. if you click this button, send them a happy birthday message. Um, mm. That that works, for example, or it could take any of the fields. But, but the problem is when you have a, a lookup table. So for example, each policy is on a different table. And so mm-hmm. one user might have two policies. I don't. I, I have to run through each of those policies to construct the. It, think of it as like an unordered list um, of yeah. like one. I mean, this is exactly yeah. how databases work. This yeah. is just it's all happening on the but, client. So, so I need a formula will not work for that. So I'm going to need to write a script. Airtable has scripting, so I'll write a basically an Airtable script to create an object for each one of the policies for a user, um, assign properties to that object, and then run through and construct the unordered list in HTML, um, you know, via, I guess some sort of for loop would be how -hmm. you do it. I'm, I'm, if you want to pair program on this sometime, I'm like, I don't know anything about Airtable, but if it's just JavaScript, I know that. So that's my, this is all that context is all leading to one particular question, which is now that I'm here, now that I'm going, okay, I'm trying to solve this specific problem, but I haven't solved this problem before. I have no idea if the way I'm trying to solve it is bogus like completely inefficient, not going to work or best practice. What, like what's the best way to go about, you mentioned pair programming. Are there other, like now that I'm, I'm trying to solve a specific problem, how do I know that my end result is a legitimate good solution to the problem versus some like complete hack? Uh, yeah, let's, I mean, I think as is the case with any discipline, you don't unless you're working with a more experienced person. But also the startup way is don't care. <laughs> like, for example, if I tried to figure out how to do sales, having no sales experience, 
I might be doing it wrong, but if I could get it to work, I'd be like, well, I don't care how Rick would do it, <laughs> you know? So, but no, I think in, in normal life, you, you just, there are best practices out there. Like, yes, you could go read textbooks and stuff like that. You're not going to. The fastest way is to talk to someone who knows and just run it by them, I think. Is that what pair, when you say pair programming, is that what you mean? Yeah, I didn't, maybe we wouldn't exactly pair. Pair programming is like basically one person shares their screen with the other and it's two people coding together. So mm. normally one person's typing and the other person's like, you know how when you code, you're constantly looking stuff up on Stack Overflow and stuff like that. So like one person's like, oh, I'm going to, oh, we need a function. I got to remember what that is. And then I'll tell it to you, but you'll actually type it. Or So one person's kind of driving the code and then the other's kind of in a support role. But it's a really good way to learn from each other. I would love to do that with you if you're willing to. This doesn't feel like it's aligned with your essential intent, uh, but I like I would love no, to do I, this. Yeah, that that would, that would be a lot of fun. You're right; it's not my essential intent, um, but it's it's much more, you know, helping people I already know and have relationships with is a lot different from like, oh, I'm going to go spend 15 hours a quarter on this other thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, completely new. So yeah, let's let's schedule that. I'm definitely taking you up on that. Cool. What else is going on in your world? Uh, so I know I've, I've been talking about these two big accounts uh, since, you know, six months ago. And I kind of probably somewhat prematurely was like, they're looking really close. And we both, you you said, but we both knew at the time, like, it'll take longer than that. So one of them has officially dropped out, but the other one is... <laughs> Can I laugh at that for a second? Yeah, sure. Okay, come on, come on. Wait, so uh, two people, two comp- context is two enterprise accounts. I feel like we talked about this like a year ago. And you said, I feel good about them, but you closed mm-hmm. one of them and one of them dropped out. We are probably, one of them added about 170 users this week. They have not paid us yet, but like they're, they're past the point where it's like they, they're investing a huge amount of time into it. I think we're probably going to get paid soon, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not counting my chickens quite I'm, yet. I'm laughing. Yeah. I'm laughing because it's funny. Not because. Yeah. Not no, no, no. I know, yeah. th- this is how it goes. It's everyone goes through this, I think, where. If you're selling to a small business, which is almost all I sell to, you get on the phone with them, you're like, here's the software, and they're like, cool, here's my credit card. If you're selling to a big enterprise, they say that, and but it's like, oh, I got to talk to my boss, I'll get the credit card to you. And then like a, mu- a year later, you're still, well, I talked to my boss and this thing came back and oh, my IT person wanted to know this and yeah. So. And the and the and you know you've got a great enterprise customer when they just pay you right away, and you know you have a terrible small business customer when they treat you like you're they're an enterprise. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god! If we spent this much time on a small uh, smaller customer, but there are but some no, small customers who want you to jump through the hoops like this. A hundred percent. If they if a if a small you know hundred dollar or less a month customer sends you like a security audit form to fill out, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like if they're your first customer, you know, in the early days you have to really hustle, but no. Um, Sorry. Anyway, I, it, it's looking good. No, 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 you're you're hundred you're hundred percent right about all this, and you predicted it a year ago or six months ago. But it's but a good it, sign. It's a good sign. I mean, this uh, if they add the number of users we're expecting, it would be I think something like a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, so like by like far far and away our biggest client. Um, and yeah, it's a lot more work than a you know, $10, $20 a month client, but like relative to the revenue, it's not that much work. It, this has been a very easy process. And remind me, is this, there, there, there were two enterprise customers. Was this the, is the one that's staying the one that is a kind of a grouping of a lot of different franchisee, independent contractor type people? 
No, so that's, yeah, so one of them was a franchise model. One was just like a standard corporation. Uh, this is the corporation. So the franchise one is going elsewhere. This is just like a 500 or something person company that uh, they, I guess they didn't, I, I guess they did have a CRM before, but it wasn't really used effectively. So they're kind of like, something's better than nothing. And we sure are something. <laughs> is That's great. <laughs> um, is, is One of the worries you had was if, well, one of the worry I think it was more of a worry I had was, are, have they asked you to do anything that where it's kind of crossed into a line of it's making it, the product better for them, but worse for the other users? Have, have you run into any of those conflicts? Um, they, there haven't been conflicts, but there's been... Uh, so the, the only... I wouldn't say sticking point. No one's like upset or objecting, but like decision point, I guess, is we basically said, you can get our product and just pay us, or we kind of gave them two... Like you can give us $30,000 up front and we'll do this. You can give us $50,000 up front and we'll give you that. And, but it's all stuff we want to do anyway. So they are not paying us to do something that we think makes the product worse. It's just, they're paying us to reprioritize. Cause for example, a really big account, like our user management tools are not there for like 10 person accounts. And when you have 500 they just kind of break, you know? So we're like, we knew we needed to fix this at some point. Okay, we'll do it now because, you know, if, if you pay us because you have 500 users. I got it, cool. So we're we're hoping they they choose to pay because it's a good deal for both sides. It's not like, a, ugh, I really don't want to do this stuff for them. Cool, cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'll hopefully have better, not, I shouldn't say better, but like final news on this at this rate, a year from now, but maybe in a couple of weeks. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask, did you ever at, at people keep doing any like compliance? I know we did like we did HIPAA compliance when I was there, but you weren't really in charge of that. That was before either of us had much power there. Did you ever do like SOC 2 or like renew HIPAA compliance or anything like that? I remember a SAS 70. SAS 70. We did that with HIPAA, right? Yeah. And then a PC, there's a PCI compliance thing that we went through when we did a big deal with, I think it was Aetna. Um, but it was always driven by, it seemed like it was always driven by a deal. That So yeah, I'm interested in hearing about that because this always happens. For anyone who deals with like enterprise clients, they always come in and sometimes it's a demand, like you have to have this. Most of the time in my experience, it's like, here's this worksheet you have to fill out. Tell us all the certifications and compliances and stuff you've you've done. Um, what's your attitude on like, if you don't have one and they want one, how do you handle that? Uh, it depends on the business model, I guess. So this kind of, this is kind of interesting talking to about it, to you about it, because it's like, is this coming from an enterprise customer or is this coming from your average user? Right. So I, I think I can answer the average with the average user one. If it's one user, no. But if it's like you keep getting asked about it, it's just like any other feature where you're like, you know, no one user can justify this, but on there's, aggregate. I think there's two, there's two factors here. One is how often is it coming up? And mm -hmm. then the other factor is who is it coming up from? If it's coming up often from non-qualified customers, then it doesn't matter. But if it's coming up, and, and if it's coming up just a few times from qualified customers, it probably doesn't matter either. But if it's coming up a lot from qualified customers, it probably makes sense to prioritize it. Yeah, just like I think any feature request. Yes, yeah. The the harder one is, yeah, so an enterprise customer comes along, they're like, we've got this, you know, director of IT security who's got this checklist and we have to check every box and you need one of these audits performed. 
it doesn't really provide any value to anyone, but it's a it's a prerequisite for the deal. It's a cost um, of sale. Yeah. What how, do you just say? Pay us to do it, and we'll do it. Is that the approach you would take there? So, so is this in your particular situation? Is this coming from an enterprise? In, in this case, we're we're past that point already because okay. we what we said was like we don't have it. Uh, moving on, and then they yeah. were fine with it. But like we've definitely had it before, where people are like, if this, we've never closed any of these deals for other reasons, but where they're like, if this deal's going to close, you need. So, I, I, the one I wrote down here is SOC two compliant. I don't even know SAS seventy SOC two. I don't know what any of these are, but like, yeah, I mean, I, it, to me, it feels like one of those things where you probably you're probably going to have to do it. If, if someone really wants you to do it and it matters to them, they're probably not going to pay you to do it. And they're probably going to want you to do it before they sign the deal. And that's going to come down. It's going to come down to, you know, is that what, is it worth you taking the risk of putting the time and money into doing this and then have the, you know, client walk away. Um, it's, I look at this very similarly to like my business where I, you know, had the Indiana company that really was interested. I got appointed in Indiana, got licensed, spent a couple thousand dollars doing it. And then they're like, Oh, we're just going to do our own thing. Yeah. Complete, complete waste. So um, you don't think, you don't think it would be standard to say, we'll do this, but like, it may, maybe you don't pay us directly, but normally you charge enterprise customers more. And this is part of the reason why. I think there's a difference between saying, we'll do it, sign this contract and pay us to do it in advance and then do it. And then if they move forward, charging them a premium you know, factoring that into the cost of that you're actually charging them, that's a whole other thing. But you, okay, so you're saying basically you don't see a good way to negotiate such that you get money, some amount of money from them so that you know they're serious. You just have to take the risk is what you're saying. I, I, I think if that, if the sticking point is that and they're saying we can't do, it's just, this is a requirement of doing business with you, you're probably mm-hmm. just going to have to do it in order to get to the table. Hmm. Okay. I'm never going to do that, I don't think, because uh, like, that, you know, these things cost a lot of money. Take a, It's just such an enormous distraction. But uh, OK, I'll report yeah. back if I ever get anyone to pay us for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I, I, I'd be interested. Um, I, it, to me, the, the, the reason I, I, I say I think that is these are CYA type requirements. They're not business user requirements. And so. Oftentimes these are like filtering options. These are like filtering criteria. They're not, oh, we're ready mm. to move forward. Let's just like put a stamp of approval criteria. So you're saying if they get to the point that I'm talking about, they, they maybe don't even need it at all, basically. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's interesting. Okay. I do like, by the way, as an enterprise, not that I'm good at dealing with like enterprise sales or anything like that, but I what I am good at is not letting them ruin my life. Um, anytime people ask for anything, you can just be like, no, we don't have that. And yes, there's a price where we'll do it, right? Like, <laughs> you know, we don't need to get into me apologizing for not having it. Like, what are you, what is it worth to you? Yep. <laughs> that That's learned though with, with just realizing that it's okay to say that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, and then my only other update, uh, we don't need to probably dive too much into this, but you and I occasionally talk about the idea of building a community. And every time we we talk about it and there's a lot of upside and promise and then we decide not to. I just went through this whole exercise again internally at the company where we're kind of doing some marketing brainstorming and we're like, what if we could have a community of small businesses or what, like maybe a specific industry? Or we, we just went through a whole thing and once again came to the conclusion that it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think there are very few companies where it makes sense to create communities, a community. Um, I, I don't think a CRM software 
company is. Uh, yeah. I also don't think a health insurance agency is. And I should say the idea wasn't to make a community about CRM software. It was it was almost like a separate, maybe even a separate brand or something as like a like building a tool. There, there's this whole mar- model of marketing, like build something unrelated to your thing and then use that as lead gen. This was one of the ideas we were talking about there, but the, 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 that requires. So I think let's, let's talk about a good example of this. I think ConvertKit has a pretty good example of executing community pretty well, where they're v- hyper focused on being the newsletter slash email service for creators. And so they're creating community around all the creators in the world. These creators have massive influence. They, um, they all want, you know, there's a lot of reasons why creators want to know other creators. Um, other people who aren't creators are attracted to creators. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, that makes, that is a perfect example of where it makes sense, but taking like you, you have a one to many type service where it's, you know, you're not trying to be the CRM for fill in the blank. You know, yeah. it's 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 much harder, I think. Well, and this is our, I think, fundamental challenge, not just with this, but with marketing in general. A lot of good marketing ideas and the ones that I think appeal to people like me and a lot of indie hacker type people, uh, they rely on finding people in a tribe online. Like you don't necessarily own the community, but a community needs to exist so that you can reach people. And time and time again, we look at it and we're just like, our customers aren't digital natives. They're 60-year-olds on it, or yeah, I don't know what the average is, but they're older. Uh, they're not technical because we sell a low-tech product. They're just not spending time online anywhere. And there's just nowhere to meet them, I don't think. Do you buy that? I mean, there's some subset of your customers who are online. Sure, yeah. Um, and I, I, but it's like, now you're creating this like special it's just not obvious. Like it's not right. natural. It doesn't just make sense. And that therefore it's, it's kind of like swimming upstream, just creating mm-hmm. community for community's sake. I think it's actually rare that it makes sense to build a community where you're swimming downstream with it. And I think there's probably way too many, may, <laughs> way too many companies trying to build communities into their business model. Well, and again though, I'm not even saying build a community. I'm just saying like, find a community to participate in. Even. Oh, okay. Um, um, and I don't think our customers have online tries. You're right that, of course, some of them do. Out of 24,000 people, some of them have this. But there's. it's not like if, if you're selling to startups, like go on Hacker News, go on Indie Hackers. That doesn't exist for my customers, I don't think. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, your customers as like a total thing, no, because you sell to so many different, you're not specialized. I guess it requires specialization. We've we've even dabbled with that though. Like what about if we picked an industry or something like that? And I think there's some, but I think a lot of people just don't don't have online communities. We've One thing we've been talking about though is long-term, we can't keep selling to people who are currently 60. Like my goal is to do this until I retire those people will have retired long before that. Like eventually we're going to have to start getting a younger crowd um, and then things might change for us. But with our current audience, I think, I don't know, I I still have to keep playing around with it, but a lot of things that work for other bootstrapped companies because they sell to tech savvy people, I don't think they work for us. Yeah, that's interesting. When you were talking earlier, I wasn't distinguishing between digital community and local community. and, And it sounds like what you're disqualifying for you is digital community more so than community in general. Right. Yeah. Everyone has a community somewhere, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, sounds like the right conclusion. Yeah. It's, it's always liberating to 
think you have a big project and then be like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's almost like you completed the project in a way. Yep. Uh, you got you got some rants or shout outs here? Yeah, a couple. Um, you just mentioned Hacker News. This was on my list. I, I've heard you say it since we maybe 20 times since we've been on this podcast. I see it mm-hmm. being tweeted about. I think it was Rami who maybe a list. I'm sure it's Rami or Rami. Pardon me if I pronounced that wrong. But I think he mentioned like being at the top of it. And then people were talking about how the comments, people who comment on Hacker News are kind of dickheads. Yeah. Uh, and what is Hacker News? Do you feel like you know what Reddit is? Yeah, I know what Reddit is now. Okay. Hacker News is basically, it's a totally separate website unrelated to Reddit. Well, sort of unrelated, but um, it's effectively one single subreddit that's about some kind of hybrid of technology, business, Silicon Valley culture stuff. Like it, it's run by Y Combinator. So if you just think about all the stuff that Y Combinator, like culturally they care about, so tech, business, startups, the Bay VC. Area. Yeah, VC. Um, it's basically a subreddit. It functionally, it's the same thing. People post topics, they upvote, downvote, and then leave comments on them. Um, and What's, it's how, how, how widely is it read? Like, is it bigger than how big... It's it look you go to this site and it looks like Craigslist from like oh yeah from like high school days college days like what is it's this not a not a well well arguably it is a well designed site it is not an aesthetically impressive site is um, it articles that are listed or is yeah, it yeah almost posts? everything is a link to somewhere else like you can write a post in there but it's very very rare almost everything's going to be a link to some other like an article from a journal you know Wall Street Journal or uh, a GitHub repository or something like that but then the the value of Hacker News is in the comments. Mm. So there's a topic. So for example, I'm sure Robinhood, all that stuff has a thread on there over the last couple of weeks. And you can go in there and see, well, what do uh, what does the toxic masculinity crowd from the Bay Area think about that? Okay. Basically. <laughs> and how often do you, are you a, a regular consumer of Hacker News? I used to be... I, it used to be a lot more interesting to me. Uh, I think it, it used to be more startup and entrepreneurship focused. And now it's basically a bunch of like big tech employees complaining about stuff. Um, so it doesn't interest me as much. I check it a few times a week, probably. Oh, interesting. Okay. And what, would you see me getting any value out of trying to understand it and pay attention to it? No. Okay. That helps I don't me. think so. I think you. five five to 10 years ago, I would have said yes. But it's it, the, all the business stuff, like how to do a startup, I, that very rarely is on there these days. It's mostly just flame wars about like what what's newsy. I, I follow it. There is good tech stuff on there. Like if you wanted to, if you're like, I'm going to become a full-time software engineer and I want to like learn about tech, it's, I wouldn't say great for that, but it's okay. okay. But it, it's way, it's too, too complex for me. Uh, like I struggle to follow the topics. And so like, it's not the next step for you if you want to learn more about that stuff. Helpful. Thanks for going through that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go in five minutes, by the way. I got a hard stop here, so... You want to just wrap? My, yeah, give you give your. Uh, I'll, I'll rant. give my little rant just because we keep talking about Webflow and we both love it, and I we also both keep complaining about how confusing the billing is, and I decided to upgrade us to annual billing recently on Webflow because like normally I don't do annual billing because like I'm adding and removing users, but with Webflow I was like it pr- probably that's not going to happen so much. It was such a pain in the ass. I could go online and upgrade my site plan to annual, but not my team plan. So I did the site plan and then with the team plan, it's like a link to go to like, you have to talk to somebody to get upgraded. But the link just goes to their main support site. It doesn't go to a specific article. 
It doesn't go to a chat or anything. It's just their help site, which you cannot upgrade from there. So then you have to find how to talk to somebody. And that talk that sends you to a chat bot. And then you have to convince the chat bot to let you talk to somebody. It was just the fucking worst experience. I don't understand how Webflow is this amazing company and their billing is such a disaster. I just don't understand it. Great product. But like this is part of the product. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, how, how did you get a hold of anyone? Have you solved this problem? Yeah, eventually it got solved, but it was it took a while. Hmm. And you know, the, the support person was nice. Like it's not their fault, but if nothing else, I just want to generalize and say, send links to the right place. I hate when you get an email from someone and it's like, here's how you do it. Click here to log in, then click here, then click there. Like, just send me the link to the thing. Why are you making me click around? Ugh. And I hate chatbot. Chatbots never, ever, ever work. Never. Zero percent. <laughs> I mean, sorry, let me rephrase. If all you're trying to do is look up a help article, they can work. But if you need more than that, they work 0% of the time. So what's you, the point? Yeah, well, especially when you make it hard for you to say, I don't want to talk to the chatbot anymore. There's no chatbots who like let you go, destroy it. Like, please kill the chatbot and let me talk to a real person. Yeah, it's like, the same as phone trees from like more class. It, it's just like tech startups have figured out how to copy stodgy old company strategies, but it like looks cool and techy. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Okay, oh, that's man. all I got there. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say before you head off? No, I think I'm good. Good cool. talking to you. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.